From an outside perspective, restaurants are the perfect getaway. Great food, inviting atmosphere, comforting environment. It's an all-around fantastic time for friends and family alike. Though it can be beautiful and enriching from the inside perspective, as a guest, one doesn't see the hardships and stressors of creating a wonderful experience. Every restaurateur goes through struggles and challenges that could make or break them. This podcast aims to explore that, pulling back the curtain and understanding what it's truly like to run these establishments as told by those who do it. I'm Justin Warner, and you're listening to Resto Talk, a podcast brought to you by Touch Bistro. Who are you and what are you doing here? I'm Rob McDaniel, executive chef owner of Helen Restaurant in Birmingham, Alabama. And I'm here because I was asked to talk about what we're doing here and I'm thrilled to be doing that. So believe it or not, you and I, although we have never met, have a mutual friend, I believe, or at least acquaintance, definitely my friend, Marty Duncan, who is, you know, Marty? Sure. So Marty said that you have an incredible tomato pie. So Marty and I have very different backgrounds, but we are united in our desire to eat and prepare good food. And oftentimes Marty will say something to me as an Alabaman that I don't understand. For example, (laughs) she said, chef, you should come down for a shrimp bowl. And I'm like, is this a gala? Will we dance? Or is it a sphere of shrimp? She's like, chef, what? A bowl. And I'm like, a boil. Got it. Got it. Okay. Understood. Bowl. Yeah. It's there. There's part of that. It's silent. Yeah. Got it. So what is a tomato pie? Because you say tomato pie to me and I think pizza. You're not too far off deep dish style. So traditionally a tomato pie would be made in a, in a normal pie shell and you get six to eight slices out of it. It's tomatoes and a mixture of cheese and mayonnaise. Got it. Which I know sounds kind of weird, which is one reason why we took that and incorporated another Southern staple into our tomato pie with the pimento cheese so that it sounds more appealing when you're talking to a guest about a tomato pie that's topped with pimento cheese as opposed to a tomato pie that is topped with white cheddar and Duke's mayonnaise. So we make pimento cheese with a cloth-bound cheddar that has a neutral egg and oil emulsion that binds the cheese and pimento. And we season that with a little bit of cayenne pepper and Cholula or Tabasco hot sauce. They stand about two inches tall. It's a little small individual. It is very reminiscent, I guess. I'm not a deep dish pie connoisseur, but it's kind of reminiscent of a deep dish pizza because it's kind of deep and it's got probably four layers of sliced tomatoes that we'll, we slice, season the day before to pull the moisture out. The pie shell is made out of brisee dough. And we make those in little cake rings and then bake them off, build the pie, top it with pimento cheese, pop it back in the oven for about 20 minutes for the tomatoes to soften, cheese to melt, and then it holds perfectly. And then when we're ready to serve one, we pop it in the oven and warm it through and serve it just like that. Amazing. Well, I want that and I want that immediately. So you've taken something that sounds kind of down home and fairly simple and have gussied it up. But the way you talk about it, it is though you have a lot of experience in this business. Could you talk to me about that? I mean, I've I've been in this business for 20 plus years and I went the culinary school route. 
So my resume is not as long as a lot of people's are. If I had to do it all over again, I'd still go to culinary school. But I also like the idea of doing it all over again and working in a city and, and you know, moving and shuffling around and getting, getting a lot more experience that way. So, you know, I mean, I, I love both schools of thought of what direction to go. For me, it was culinary school. I had a bachelor's degree in hospitality management before I went to culinary school. I went to Necky in Montpelier, Vermont and graduated there in like 2004, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I started out, I wanted to be a chiropractor like my grandfather and I failed anatomy three times. And that third time was about the time I got my first restaurant job at a little chain restaurant called Ruby Tuesdays. And I was a server there for a little while. I got into the kitchen. I did that for about six months or so, but that's really where I kind of realized, hey, you know, this is something that I enjoy doing. And when I was in college at Auburn, I had a speaker that once said, you know, if you go to work every day for a paycheck, you're going for the wrong reason. And I thought to myself, I enjoy doing this enough to where if I could get paid well enough to do it, then this would be pretty good. And so I'd switched majors and switched restaurants to one that was a little bit more refined, I guess, and then graduated six months later and moved to Montpelier and went to culinary school, worked at a couple of restaurants for internships through that, and then moved back to Alabama where I worked at Hot and Hot Fish Club for about three and a half years. Then I worked for a barbecue restaurant called Jim and Nick's. It was before they got really big. You know, I really enjoyed that, but I kind of had an epiphany one day while I was selling barbecue sandwiches and sweet teas through a drive through window with a headset on so I could hear the hear them place their order in the drive through that, hey, I've got two college degrees in hospitality and cooking, and this is not where I need to be right now. So along the, that time, I got a phone call from a company called Russell Lands, who is most people would know as Russell Athletic, which started in Alabama. There was a member of the family that was not as associated with Russell Athletic, and he managed a large piece of property that was on a lake here in Alabama called Lake Martin. And I was there for 10 years as the executive chef and general manager. And one day I came in and I opened a devotional and devotional said, you've been on this mountain long enough. And I said, okay, went home and told my wife that and doors started opening. And I had a financier that had always said, Hey, when you get ready to make a move, let me know. But he never like pushed me in that direction. He just let it be known that when the time was right, that he would be looking to help me. So I met with him and we're two years into a restaurant that opened in the middle of a pandemic. So what was that like? Surprisingly common. I think because of the way that I left the other place based on my faith, I just knew that it was what we were supposed to be doing. And so there were a lot of challenges, but we didn't really hit any delays because it was early enough in the pandemic that production and things had not grounded to a halt. So, you know, we were able to get all of our equipment and get everything and construction didn't get slowed down. So that was good. And, you know, I mean, quite honestly, we opened a restaurant at 50% for six months and had a soft opening for six months, basically. And so we were able to do some things that allowed us to be a better restaurant because of that, I think. And so 
I look at it as a blessing in disguise. And I know that it was a very hard time and is still a very hard time for a lot of people. Probably one of the most difficult parts of the whole thing was not really having a restaurant home to help. You know, I mean, I'd stepped away from my role at, at the previous job and I didn't have a restaurant open and I was asking friends what I could do to help. And, you know, they did, they had no clue how to respond. And finally, one of my good friends was like, anything that we could have you do, we would rather pay an employee to do. And I was like, totally get that, respect that, but just know that I'm here for you. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we just, several people voiced their opinion of how dumb it was of what we were doing to open when we were opening. But, you know, as I told many of them, we've gotten a, a, an SBA loan. We've gotten a backer. I have 17 investors that have all invested money and nobody is going to take their money back without their interest. So the only way that we're going to run a restaurant in a pandemic is to open a restaurant in a pandemic. And that's what we did at 50%. We did a little bit of outdoor seating, but we don't have much of an opportunity for that. But we left we we set people spaced out. So the restaurant kind of felt the same. And one of the biggest compliments that we got throughout that 50% process was we feel safe, but we also feel like this is the most normal experience we've had since the pandemic has started. We also wanted to take the opportunity, my wife and Emily McDaniel is my business partner, and then our general manager, Daniel Goslin. The three of us decided that we were going to take the opportunity to aim at a small target, miss small, but do everything that we could to create a different environment that would allow people quality of life, better mental health, fair pay, and try to do things in that manner in the hopes that that would allow us to have a, have a good staff. We are fully staffed. My kitchen's all on salary and they work a four-day work week. Wow. That started a month ago. That was one of my goals when we started is to try to do that. And I mean, the week that we started it, it was a game changer. I've yet to take advantage of the four-day work week yet, but it also allows me to be able to get out earlier on nights that are slower. I do take Saturday nights off. I have five-year-old twin girls. And so my other goal was I'm not going to neglect my family for this restaurant. And I'm not going to neglect the restaurant because I I have a duty as a father to be a good father. So, you know, there's a balance there and I try to find it every day. I dig it. So you had mentioned faith twice in that past conversation. I take it you are a devout man. My question for you is, Restaurants often are exercises in chaos. And when I think about divinity or the concept thereof, I don't often think of <laughs> restaurants. No, I understand. Uh-huh. I think the closest I could get would be the Last Supper. And uh, that, that depiction <laughs> looks about as chaotic as it could get. And yeah. I only imagine what the servers and the prep cooks were saying about that walk-in 12-top or what have you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess what I'm getting at is how do you keep that about you and how does it help you mitigate the chaos that one finds? Because I don't look at chaos as being anything necessarily divine. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, I, I'm glad that you asked the question. I definitely, I mentioned faith twice because I firmly believe that the reason that we have had the success that we've had and we were able to navigate through what we navigated to to get to where we are so that I could tell that story. Back to chaos. I mean, it's a restaurant. So yeah, there is chaos. But if I'm going to be the person that preaches this, no pun intended, then I have to be the calm in the storm. I've never been a person that reacts well to learning under an iron fist or someone yelling at me, belittling me, the scene and the bear absolutely traumatizes me. I mean, I, I would, I'm not, you know, I, I would never quit, but like, I don't perform that way. For those listening, it is a show about restaurants on Hulu that is at times disturbingly accurate. Yeah, it's some people do perform well under that, those circumstances, but I also think that that's because that's ingrained in them. So there has been a little bit of of a process of rewinding some of the trauma that people have experienced in the past, but me handling situations in a way that people have never seen before speaks volumes to how I want this restaurant to be run. And as I mentioned, I have two five-year-old children who I don't want them to grow up in a restaurant that I'm worried about them coming into. But yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, there is a lot of chaos in a kitchen and in a restaurant, but it has to be controlled chaos. I mean, I think we would all agree that the best run restaurants are controlled chaos. And so I think that having people in positions of authority that are calm in those storms just helps us manage them better. It's already chaotic. So me yelling at you because you rang the wrong thing in, that's not helping anything. Me yelling at you because you overcooked the steak, that's not necessarily helping anything. Is it frustrating? Sure. You know, I mean, I, I don't I don't think I have an employee in here that I need to make feel worse about doing something wrong than they already have made themselves feel. And so in order for us to get out of that situation, I feel like I need to be the calm and the support to that person at that moment in order to rectify the situation and move on and not let it spiral out of control and affect the rest of the night. Well, you know, I think that is a, a very noble take on leadership. And I definitely, in my own restaurants, have had those moments where, you know, if, if anyone was going to freak out and flip out, it definitely could have, should have, and would have been myself. And when that happens, I feel it. And then I also feel, it's like, I feel the reins pulling back on me. And I don't know where it comes from or what it does. But growing up, I was always the exact same way. I didn't vibe with a sort of top-down, holier-than-thou, uh, no pun intended. Sure. You know, sort of, sort of vibe. And I think we've now realized that more than ever, I think the culinary arts are being recognized as arts and that there is an art to hospitality and how we are made to feel. And that art can't come from a factory. That's not art. Art has to come from a studio, a salon, a, a place where people feel free to be themselves and feel encouraged enough 
to collaborate and to recognize that there is leadership. And I just think that we are getting to a place now where we're really starting to analyze what it takes to be a great restaurant. And, and that's across the board. When you have basically, as you mentioned, the bear creates a real palpable sense of what I call restaurant anxiety. It's a very uh, special, and maybe you can talk on this, but it's a very special kind of anxiety. A little bit imposter syndrome, a little bit standing in front of a tidal wave and, and hoping that you stand once it crashes over you. And then also, I don't know if it's because we traffic in food. You know, I know you named your restaurant after your grandmother. There is a weird nostalgia and desire to, I don't know, make the previous generations of chefs and consumers happy. I don't know where this comes from. But I feel like every time something is wrong or yucky, I don't know, I've like let my ancestors down or something. I don't know. So firstly, is restaurant anxiety real? Is restaurant anxiety real? Absolutely. Without, without a doubt. For me, it comes in different ways. Though. You know, I mean, like this morning, I knew I had two things that I had to get done before a certain amount of time. And then I had someone call out. So I was like, okay. So like I run in and I was testing a baguette recipe, which I could throw the dough away, but you know, we're not going to do that. Or I can work through it as quickly as possible. So I did that. I had to get a dessert done. I got that done. And then there were some things, you know, I felt anxiety with that. But at the same time, for me, I ran a restaurant for a, a large corporation that understood hospitality, but it was not their world. So I never really had anybody that understood restaurant anxiety that I could talk to. So I always think anytime I get anxious at my own restaurant, I think to myself, it's my restaurant. It's my place. This is, this is my anxiety. So I can control that. How do I get out of this? Well, I make the baguettes, I make the dessert, and then I move on to the next task and I figure out who, who I can help out because we're down a person and then make decisions quickly and stick with those decisions that I make. You know, I try not to waver on things. And so we made adjustments very quickly. And me not participating in the four-day work week also doesn't have me working a station every night. So if somebody calls out, I can still give my the two people that have the day off, they still have their day off today. And I'm going to work a position. You know, I mean, and that I think that also in my staff's mind goes, okay, he's in this with us. He's not just, you know, leaving. You know, I mean, he's not going to pull somebody. He, I could easily, because I've, I've worked for these people who say, well, so-and-so is off today. We're going to call them in. I don't think that's right. You know, anytime I have restaurant anxiety, I think about the fact that it is my restaurant now and I can control my, I can, I got to figure out how to control that anxiety. And so it's kind of how I deal with that. There was a point in my life when I worked at the, the other restaurant was called Springhouse, but for one whole summer and summer was our, it was a, that was the high season. I would expedite. But as soon as I stepped on line to expedite, I mean, like, I, I felt like I was going to pass out the whole, the whole service. I mean, like, like white knuckle holding on to the cutting board and like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. And then service would be over with and I'd be fine. I don't know why I did that that summer, but it happened all summer long. And then it was done. And it was over. 
And so, you know, it, it's, it's definitely a very real thing. Secondly, now that you have implemented, say, the four-day work week, have you seen morale improve and, say, anxiety diminish? And then next, how do you stop? So how do you stop working so that you can go be a dad? People are much more willing to say, hey, I'll help out. Hey, uh, you know, let's do this. Let's do that. They work hard when they're here. And that, that's the thing that I ask them. Look, I'm going to do the four-day work week. Then I have to know that you're going to give me 110% the four days that you're here. And you're going to help with recipe development. We're going we're gonna to talk about things. We're going to elevate ourselves from what we have been for the last two years. Everybody's bought into that. And, you know, I mean, I definitely know that their anxiety level is much lower because, you know, they're not working 60 hours a week. They get three days off and they have time to have quality of life because I'm a firm believer that the pandemic shutdown made most of the folks in the hospitality industry, especially the ones that maybe not restaurant owners because they they didn't they weren't able to get the get a check from the government but like our hourly staff our kitchen staff front the house staff they were able to get a check from the government that was as much if not more money than they were making in a restaurant they had clarity they had quality of life and you know they weren't working 60 70 hours a week and dead tired all the time so i really feel like you know, that realization was one reason there was a mass exodus of people from the hospitality business is because they were like, wow, this is what I could feel like. And so it was my opinion and, and my wife and our general manager agreed that, you know, we have to we have to try to figure out a way to mimic this in a way that allows people to have that. Got it. And then lastly, how do I turn off? I don't think I ever really turn off. I don't, I don't know that that's a hundred percent possible for any of us that do this, especially as owners, because there's always something to worry about, but it also kind of goes back to that faith of God put me in a position to do a job and I have to not worry about things. I have to know that I mean, we've made it this far leaning on faith. So, you know, anytime that I get a little bit squirrely or whatever, I have to remind myself, hey, I mean, we've gone through one heck of a storm already. That that faith got us through that. So we just got to continue to lean on that. But for me, you know, when I'm around my kids, I'm focused on my kids. So, you know, I, I think that's probably one of the closest times that I'm unplugged from restaurant work. But, you know, they like to be in the kitchen. They love steak. I enjoy that. I enjoy them seeing this atmosphere and seeing it in the way that we're trying to do it, not the way that we've all experienced, you know, that's one way. And then I love the outdoors. And so if I can get a fly rod in my hand and whether it be in Alabama in a Creek fishing for whatever will, will bite or in the mountains in North Carolina or North Georgia, in cold water fishing for trout, you know, I mean, that's probably where I'm most at peace is in the mountains in, in, a, in a very cold mountain stream trout fishing because it's, it's white noise and you're one and you just kind of focus on what you're doing. And, but I don't get to do that often. So it's a treat when I get to love it, love it, love it. Uh, I am currently showing a picture of myself fly fishing here in rapid city, South Dakota. Nice. And 
Yeah, man. I just discovered I do Tenkara fly fishing. So uh, yeah. realist. It's just uh, much easier for my lifestyle. I will say that if, you know, if you can't see the divine in the chaos, perhaps you can see the divine in a mountain stream or creek. Uh, yeah. Because I, I, I took one of my line cooks out the other day. He'd never done it. And kind of explained him the, the rules of engagement of what we were doing and what Tenkara fly fishing is. And about halfway through it, he's like, man, chef, we're totally not at work. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes, this is indeed the opposite of working. Okay. Like, yeah. this is great. And we both ended up landing trouts. Of course, you know, the newbie catches the biggest one. Yeah, yeah. And like, I, I don't know what that happens. But anyway, for those of you all who are listening, just go hang out, get your feet cold in a creek. You can wet wade, as we call that. Uh, just roll your pants up. Stand in a creek for a minute and just look and listen at every single thing. It's, it's magical. Oh my gosh. Life's amazing. It is. I am going to close this out by asking if somebody wanted to get in to restaurants, be it front of house or back of house, because it seems as though you have experience with hospitality side and the guest interaction. What would you recommend? Find your course. Be prepared to deviate from that course and be a sponge the whole time. I would encourage people to find an atmosphere to where they're comfortable, to where they feel like they can learn, to where they can can be a sponge and absorb everything. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the best advice I can, I can give as far as that goes. I mean, it's a hard industry. Thank you for listening to Resto Talk, a podcast brought to you by Touch Bistro. I'm Justin Warner. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we'll catch you on the next one. Helen Restaurant is located at 2013 2nd Avenue North in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information, visit their website at helenbham.com.